<laughs> Welcome to Something to Talk About, where I take all this gear that I've accumulated over way too many years of podcasting, and I put it to a good use. So today we're going to have a, a bit of fun, uh, but we're going to do a little bit of business first. We're going to actually promote uh, a couple of local uh, Hamilton events. And with me is Nathan Fleet. Uh, Nathan is a award-winning filmmaker. He's also a musician, and he's surrounded by a lot of mu- music gear here, so I'm sure he's in his element. He's an educator, which we're going to talk about in a bit. Uh, he runs a film production company called Blue Pick Media, and more importantly, well, not more importantly, but as important, uh, he is also the one responsible for the Hamilton Film Festival. I should say that one more time properly, the Hamilton Film Festival. Uh, Nathan is very active in the local arts community and is the chair of the Lights Camera Hamilton and is a sitting member on the City of Hamilton's music advisory team. But more importantly, and I'm staring at it right now, uh, he is, uh, uh, I guess, as I said earlier, a musician, and he has a rock album called Love Hate City. And for someone that is currently living in Brantford, I think I know where the name comes from, but (laughs) I could be wrong. Tell me where the name Love Hate City comes from. It actually, uh, the name of the album was supposed to be Talk to the Machine, which is track four on the album, I think. And for probably nine years, it was going to be Talk to the Machine. And then in the 10th year, when I decided to release the CD, uh, I started thinking about the title and I started thinking more and more about Hamilton. And, you know, over half of the album was about Hamilton. And uh, Hamilton is very much a love-hate city. Uh, You could put any issue in front of Hamilton and like any city. And half the city will love it, and half the city will hate it. So it just kind of in the 11th hour is like, no, you know what? I got to change the title. It's got to reflect the city. So Love, Hate City came out. I took a picture of a brick wall down on James Street North and uh, threw it up in Photoshop, and that was it. There's a cover. <laughs> so Sometimes those are the best covers. And I got to say, from from a, a typeset point of view, the, the four-word square yep. you know uh, obviously works very well from from a layout point of view so con- congrats on that and uh, I'll actually be spinning it up a bit later okay. but before we get into that we'll actually be talking about some other type of music but we'll talk about that in a few seconds now uh, we mentioned the uh, Hamilton Film Festival. Yep. Uh, we're going to mention it more specifically, but I want to talk about something that's happening currently. We are uh, currently in the March break, mm-hmm. uh, and this is something that you do a couple of times a year. It is the Kids Can Film. Is that correct? Yes, yep. the Kids Can Film. So tell me about the Kids Can Film Project. Yeah, so the Kids Can Film Project is a way to get uh, kids engaged with the filmmaking process. Um, there's a lot of parents that, uh, you know, they're looking for stuff for the kids to do and not every kid wants to do sports. They don't all want the arts and crafts type camp. Um, and you know, theater is, is, is close, but to making movies, there's, there's, it's its own thing. Like you, it's, it's its own discipline. There's a lot of, uh, little skills that you can teach these people, (laughs) these people, these little, (laughs) these little kids, um, that, uh, they learn quick. But they realize that it's not—it's like nothing they've ever done before. Um, and being that you know, I run the Hamilton Film Festival, very passionate about filmmaking, and uh, you know, I've been teaching kids music for you know decades, literally decades. Um, and I thought, well, you know, let's put this, let's switch this up a little bit. Well, let's do some filmmaking and kind of see how it goes. So I got hired by a, a company called the Factory Media Center, a not-for-profit organization, a few years back, and they wanted me to write some curriculum for a film for a film camp. And so I came up with the the concept, and then I ended up teaching the classes. And then after that, I brought that into the Hamilton Film Festival uh, and thought, you know, this is something that is needed because there was a lot of people that asked about that camp. And 
uh, last year we did two and this year we did four and the goal is to you know keep expanding on that various ages um, have kids be able to graduate you know from one class to the next so that's all in the works um, and one of the the main things is Kids now experience their media on their phones and on their iPads, that kind of thing. The theatrical experience is something that was my generation, right? And yours as well, and everyone before that. You're saying I'm your age. but I'm so much younger. This whole, this whole um, idea of, uh, you know, watching stuff on yeah. these little devices uh, is different. And this is how their first experiences are with watching movies or... YouTube videos, whatever, whatever, however they experience that media. So this is a way to uh, get them back into the movie theater, but so that their experience is shared in real time with the person sitting next to them. And this whole script to screen uh, film camp is they make the movie and then we get them to pretty much organize the screening. They got to do the tickets, they got to do the posters, they got to greet the people at the door, and they do a Q&A after the movie is done. So to have them sitting in a room full of people, 200 plus people, watching their movie, watching the other camp's movie, and seeing all these other uh, movies that uh, the other kids their age made is a whole different experience that you don't just get or uh, by making a video and then seeing a bunch of likes on your thing. To be in the room and having people laugh and clap and cheer and ask you questions, it's a really, it's a different experience for them. Yeah, And it's also uh, a good way to get them excited about cinema. You know, to get them to look past some of the blockbusters and to maybe, you know, maybe five years from now, they take a chance and they go out to the theater and they see an independent film and they take a chance on, you know, something that they haven't seen before or they don't just uh, concentrate on the Star Wars and the Marvels, uh, which I still, I love, oh, but, you know. You, come on, Captain Marvel is you, special. You, you, hope to stellar. That, you hope that they get, in, you know, um, to see some of these other gems that just don't get picked up in the big theater. So, you know, it's, it's not just the, the camp that they're, learning the skills of filmmaking, they're getting a little bit more education on appreciation of movie of movies themselves. And that's kind of what we're hoping to do. I, th I think when you dissect something and you're able to see the, the pieces that make it up, and especially the, the amount of people, uh, you know, you go to any major film set, it, it's, it's, it's bigger than many organizations in terms of, of size, complexity, yeah. logistics, and the list goes on. And that's not even talking about the acting, the directing, the film producing, the video editing, the editing after the fact. The list goes on and on. And what I love about um, the modern uh, options that these kids have is, you know, there's a stellar amount of films that were recorded with iPhones. Yes. You know what I mean? Like the cameras on some of these things are, are beyond some of the things we grew up, guaranteed. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and yet, uh, the, and the editing can be done right on there in many cases as yep. well. So the cost of production uh, and the cost of distribution um, is considerably cheaper than it used to be. But the <laughs> cost of hustle... I think it's, has gone up tremendously. Yes. You know, and I think people have uh, forgotten the hustle of taking your product, whether or not it's your CD, whether or not it's your film, whether or not it's your idea, and, and truly hustling it because the tools are there when you actually need to do it. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, you are a pebble in the ocean. You can't make someone like your movie. No. You know, well, first of all, <laughs> you know, I, I always say this to my clients when, when we talk about marketing. You're talking about a percentage of 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 your funnel. Okay. And what, regardless of what your end product is, at the end of the day, it's a funnel. And there are, you know, ways of, of managing that. But at the end of the day, it's a percentage of a percentage. And the list goes on. 
to even get one person to see something in this economy, in this uh, uh, time economy, I guess is what I'm trying to say, um, you know, listen to this for an hour, us having a conversation, yeah. that takes time. Yeah. And these kids are not brought up with a six-minute-plus idea. You give them a 17-minute song, and I'm sure they're going to be losing it after three minutes. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to, to get... Uh, to your point there about like the, the the appreciation of time, when we played back the movies that the kids had made after they had been edited, they picked the edits. They picked, we're going to use take two of this, we're going to use take four of that, and I would do the actual physical editing of it. So they didn't have to f- uh, learn a lot of the heavy-duty editing skills right that off the bat. That was pretty much the only thing they didn't okay, have to Okay, because that is, that is hard work. Was just right? cutting yeah. it to there, because there's a big learning curve. That's yes. a class on its own. Oh, That's God, a, yeah. A week-long I'm, I'm there, class. Right? Yeah. You can't have 20 kids over one computer editing, because it... No. Just even thinking about it yeah. now just would, would blow my mind. Um, oh, I edit in silence with no one around me. Trust me. Exa- that's, yeah, the, <laughs> yeah. the life of the editor. It's a one-on-one kind of class. Yes. So Typically they, alcohol is involved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd say. Oh, I'm not disagreeing. Yeah. A glass of whiskey. Oh, and, you, yeah. you need something. Yeah. Yes. Um, so they all watched the movie back, and they all had the same reaction. They'd watch a scene, and they're like, we spent two hours... And it just went by in 10 seconds. And they realized how much time goes into just a few seconds mm-hmm. on screen. And they all have that same reaction after. Is they, they realized that we spent four days of filming and the movie was done in seconds. Yeah. And they have that appreciation and they realize, um, which is good. And, you know, that's something that they can't get just... By watching a movie no. uh, on their own, or even without learning the process of making a proper story or telling a story, yep. whether it's a documentary. And I say, you know, you don't just you don't have to make movies that are funny, or you can tell a story about someone in your community. You can use movie making to raise awareness about a, an issue. You there's a lot of things you can do with it, but to be able to do it properly is what I want them to kind of walk away with. You know, how, sure they can take their phone out of their pocket and shoot in portrait mode, yeah. But look what you can do when you turn it the other way, mm, and mm-hmm. look what you can do when you actually like move your hands and use your body as a tripod. Like, and they they don't realize that uh, that you can do that. Yeah, so a simple thing like you know slowly moving down with your body while you're holding the device actually. Creates a cool effect, yeah. and uh, and, I, and you're not having to have an entire big rig that does that entire no. thing because the camera weighs three times the size of you. Yeah, yeah. You so know. they, you know, just just teaching them simple little things that we take for granted um, is rewarding. Yeah, like you really see that they uh, they they take it in and they are quick. Like just like today, teaching the camp today. Yeah, because this is going on right now for right the March now. break. Now there's one coming up in summer. Yeah, we have three um, in the summer. Three in summer. Yep. Well, there you go. Okay, so this is you know the the kickoff for a much larger thing uh, coming up over the years. So yeah. continue, please. It um, so today was our uh, yesterday, day one of the camp is writing the script, and it might not seem like oh you know a whole day to write a script. Some people play spend a lifetime writing their scripts. But, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, like a one-page yeah, script. Yeah. But you know, you're, they're learning the what a story is. Yeah. You know, you, the story arc and the characters, and you know how to build this kind of thing. So day one is the story and breaking down the script. Like, okay, so your guy sits at a table and has a drink. You have to explain to them that okay, you need a table, you need a chair, you need to dress that table, you need something for that person to drink, and what are they going to wear? And they're like, whoa, <laughs> like there's. A it's not like writing a book where your imagination has to fill in all that. Right. They have to fill yeah. in all the props. So there's a whole script breakdown that 
that they are all heavily involved with. Now, do they have to then source their own material as part of it, or is yep. okay? Yeah, part of the thing is uh, we don't want them to buy anything. It has to be something you can bring in that you own, something you could borrow, or something we can make, mm-hmm. and that's the rule. And so, and that, there's something to be said of having constraints like that. It really does make you not spend money. Uh, you know, the old joke: throw money at it. And no. these, yeah, and they're 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 so clever because right away the thinking cap goes on. Oh, I have this hat. Oh, I have this jacket. Oh, I'm going to bring in this. Oh, can I bring in that? Oh, I can make this. And they right away it's you know full on creativity, and no one is left without anything. Like yeah. it, they all have an idea. And then production day today, like you tell them one time, okay, you get the slate ready. Scene one, take two, and you mark it. Quiet on the set. Action. Scene goes on cut first positions everyone gets set up back again for take two you tell them to do that once they they hear you you don't like these kids aren't stupid like they they digest that and then i don't have to do anything i actually step back and they set up the next take and they're like quiet on the set come on let's get ready first positions everyone and they run the show how do um how does the dynamics of who's doing what like because that's that's you typically see it when you bring a lot of kids together people fall into their normal grooves is that structured or is that organic is it it's a little bit of both so what what i and i was just thinking about that today too is that every kid comes in there with their own personality and the really cool thing about a film set is there's room for everybody's personality. Like there's kids. It's that, a big job. We need everybody. Yeah. They, someone wants a center of attention. They're amazing on mm-hmm. screen. Someone is shy and they want to sit in the corner. Well, they're great at making a prop, mm-hmm. right? There's a little bit of something for everyone and they almost just naturally land in their uh, position. Mm-hmm. But in the camp, we make sure that each kid gets to try something because they might not understand what a boom operator does, mm-hmm. but you put the headphones oh. on them and a microphone and they hear sound the way they've never heard it before, a light goes off. Especially then, when you control the mic and you're now the one, you know, and we have mics, yes. you know, where you're now playing with it and you are now in fully control of what that sounds like and you're doing that from a distance, mm-hmm. you know, and you're balancing that thing and you're hearing it. It's like when you play the guitar the for the first time, not through an app, but you're hearing it, mm-hmm. you know, through a proper headset set it's like oh i can bend this note and do this yeah yeah audio God, audio that's a thing unto itself isn't it it absolutely is <laughs> yeah. so i make sure that the kids do get to try a little bit of everything because you don't know what they're gonna you know gravitate towards yeah. and that, they would have no clue in some cases absolutely absolutely you know? now they don't typically do this stuff in schools much anymore like there's not that av club type thing and like i'm not a, a parent yep. so i don't know these things anymore there's more and more um, media classes that are existing uh because of this you know because the technology is so accessible uh a few a year ago i was teaching through the school system program called learning through the arts and i would be on the filmmaking side of things where you go in and based on whatever curriculum they're working on that week or that month in school you teach them to make a movie about that subject so it would, you know, very... So it's basically vlogging in some ways. Yeah, it was very limited yeah. time, like yeah. it was four hours basically to come up with something. Yeah. About an hour a week. Uh, so they are starting to bring that into schools a little bit, which would have been great when I was a kid because I, oh. I knew I wanted to get into filmmaking. And, you know, in public school, the closest we got was we had a teacher who brought in 16 millimeter film strip blank and we got to draw on the cells yeah. and then he ran it through right. the projector and yeah. we're like oh my god this is amazing. that's animation basically yeah, yeah. and i was like oh my, i've arrived i'm lucas um 
but that was really the only thing that happened in public school. And then in high school, there was, you know, I got into drama and I did music and all that, but there was no, there's no media making, there's no video making, there just didn't exist. Yeah. Well, as you say, the cost of, you know, uh, we use uh, the example of Rogers around here quite mm. a bit. Uh, the gear at a Rogers studio for the community-based, you know, yeah. television that yep. you see, whether or not it's Hamilton or Brantford or Kitchener, yep. the list goes on. Uh, that's a very expensive building. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And in many cases, those buildings were built because they were part of a larger facility to service the area and so forth. But when you think about the amount of gear uh, that was that is in a modern-day community broadcast, I have more stuff in my basement that is in some cases better. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just that accessible now. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, a good story is the hardest thing to find and the hardest thing to craft. Yeah. You know, uh, just because the tools are there, you know, doesn't mean that you're going to come up with a great American novel or, or whatever it may be. But please do try. Yeah. You know, because why not? It's not as if you're having to spend a $10,000 investment. You know, you got people, you know, we were joking about this a few years back. We decided that we would hook up the, uh, the guitar into the Mac using a Rocksmith USB cable. Mm-hmm. So this is a cable used for a video game, and we recorded an 18-minute Metallica medley <laughs> with no amps. This thing was pure from the guitar using a cable that yeah. is literally a $10 cable, and that replaced an entire studio. Yeah. And I'm like, kids have this. Everybody has this, yeah. not just kids. Anybody, yeah. you know. Uh, obviously, the ones that have the time to learn and the inclination towards the, yeah. the technology will do better. So... Uh, just to wrap this one up really quickly, they do get to see their show or, or their fi- yeah. finished product at the Hamilton Film Festival, which is celebrating its 14th year. That's correct. Coming cool. up on Magic 15. That's right. Uh, yeah. So tell me a bit about that, and then we're going to shift completely into something entirely different. All right. So, yeah, the Hamilton Film Festival is uh, November 2nd to the 10th, and we are, yeah, are in our 14th year. And for the past, I think, five or six years, we've been showing movies that that were made by kids outside of this, before the, this camp started. And it used to be called the Film Club Films. Um, and But now uh, we've changed it to Kids Can Film. That's the name of our camp. And the kids will make this movie. And the great thing is their parents can't get an online link. No one gets to see it. The first time they get to see it, they have to show up at their It actually has to be a proper premiere. At the, at the, at a, you know, 300 seater in Hamilton. Wow. And they come out and they see it and they get popcorn and there's excitement in the room. So it's a it's a proper festival screening. Yeah, for and back kids. to the Q and A at the end with the uh, with the process. Yep. And I got to say, I, I love that model because one one of my biggest influences is Kevin Smith, uh, who you would know. Yep. Uh, the way he just bubbled up there, I, <laughs> I definitely know you know. Uh, but uh, one of the things I loved about him recently, uh, specifically when he did Red State, uh, which was uh, just straight to DVD for all <laughs> intents and purposes, uh, stellar, stellar uh, movie. Uh, all edited in his home studio on iMovie in many cases, right? Uh, But more importantly, uh, he toured the film. Yes. Okay, he went location to location Uh to location, played it, and two, three hours of Kevin afterwards, you know? And the value of a $60 film screening versus a $7.99 Tuesday matinee, whatever, (laughs) uh, was night and day. Absolutely. You know what I mean? It was the full experience. And... I think if all you're comparing the movie experience to the blockbuster, I'm there for two hours, I'm, I get the best CGI I'll ever see, and it'll be well-produced, and yeah. I'll be excited. That's it. There's no Q&A. There's no lingering mm-hmm. you know, uh, process. And I think that's where the film um, 
festivals bring that back. Yeah. You know, um, so tell me a little bit more about the film festival and then let's kick into uh, something uh, interesting. Yeah. And not to say that that's yeah. not interesting. No, no. <laughs> yeah. The, so I started um, uh, volunteering for the Hamilton Film Festival back when it started before it was called the Hamilton Film Festival. So okay. So this predates you. I want to be made. Yes. Okay. And it wasn't. We're old, but we're not that old. That's right. <laughs> So the, it, it was a few different screenings at a, at a theater in Hamilton called the Staircase Theater, and they were running film screenings back at a time when there were no indie film screenings around. There really wasn't. The art gallery was doing an experimental uh, program, and the Staircase had this theater. They bought an LCD projector. They had a VHS machine and a DVD player, and I could, works. I could go there and watch indie yeah. films. I didn't have to get on the bus anymore to go to Toronto to see films, and I would do that weekly, get on a go, go bus and watch uh, independent Canadian films. And then and there's very few of those in Toronto anymore. Like the, the the amount that are around are significantly less than when we were experiencing that. Well, there's there's actually an increase. Is there? In an, okay, so, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. In there's, terms of the individual studios, or in terms of the festival increase? Oh, festival increase. Okay, I was yeah. thinking more in terms of the places that you would just go and see stuff that's kind of just you know uh, the the private studios, for lack of a better term. Oh right, yeah, yeah. No, there's there's definitely an in- increase in festivals. Okay, um, and so. I got involved at the staircase taking tickets hmm. and then, you know, pressing play on the movies. And then they sat, they sat me down and they're like, you know, we, we want you to be involved. Uh, we, we should create a proper festival. What do you want to call it? And I said, why don't we just call it the Hamilton Film Festival? Now, this is a time when Hamilton was not popular. Like You're, you're telling me Hamilton's <laughs> popular. Sorry, I'm in Brantford. You're in Brantford, so I get it. <laughs> but in Hamilton, there's this whole thing, you know, people are migrating from Toronto, yes. going to Hamilton. Saying, we oh have it God, here as well. The, the, Hamilton's the price wonderful. Of, oh, and spe- it's, compared to Toronto, it's it, spectacular. It's, it, you got grass. We got, that's right. So, <laughs> you can actually go and walk somewhere. So, so you understand that. Oh, I, I live in Brantford. Yes, Trust me, I got the Grand River a block away from <laughs> absolutely. here. Absolutely. So you get that whole uh, sense of, you know, Hamilton wasn't, you didn't just name things Hamilton. It was just, this is where I'm from. I don't want to drive mm-hmm. to Toronto anymore. We're the Hamilton Film Festival. So, you know, years went on and I was involved with programming and I would run a couple of the nights. And then in 2008, the Staircase Theatre said, we want you to become the director of the festival. We want you to, your vision, whatever you want, go with it. So I did and I I opened up um, more screening opportunities for people. And it was interesting because people in Toronto at the time couldn't get screenings in their own city. Mm-hmm. So they started coming to Hamilton. It's and the, our, Just like they can't afford the houses, they didn't have enough it, uh, pull to get it into was. the yeah. Our year three, four, five was dominated by Toronto filmmakers. I believe it, yeah. Word of mouth got, uh, got out. Well, ease of access or ease of entry for that better Absolutely. At Ab- least you're getting seen in some cases. Yes. Yeah. And that's what that's what happened. And then uh, once uh, the online film submissions kicked in, we had this large fan base of people, mostly from Toronto, uh, that expanded, you know, across the world. And all the feedback was, oh, yeah, we, our producer from Toronto told us we should submit to your festival. And someone went to school there and, and it just blew up. And then in year 10, our 10th anniversary, I actually took the festival over. So it was the staircases. They gave it to me. They're like, Nathan, so now it's, it's your baby. It's yours, now right? it's mine. Okay. And then from there, I expanded into more theaters, and then I expanded with the training sessions. Like so, I do you know workshops throughout the year, the kids camp. So it's really expanded into you know festival learning, a lot of industry development. We have a festival market that's mm. attached to it now. So we're just so it's got a bit of that South by Southwest mix of a few different things, if you will. Yep. Which is y- y- when you're pulling that many people with similar problems or similar issues yep. or similar concerns or similar goals or whatever. Uh, yeah, uh, add on, add on, upsell, 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 always upsell. Yeah. <laughs> 
And that's and the, the thing too is you know when every time I'm adding something to the festival, it's got to benefit people. Mm. Like it has to be, and myself included. Like to, oh, you're doing it. Selfish, you got to enjoy it. You know, to be selfish. I don't want to go anywhere else to meet the industry. I want the industry to come to me. You're like me in my basement. How do I do that? <laughs> yeah. Well, set up a panel discussion. Yeah. Set up a whole day of panel discussions. And I get to benefit from that as well. I've, re- I've got work from panelists that have come in. Uh, so it's actually benefited me. And the people that come to the festival, they're getting benefits as well. So it's just, it's a win-win. One of the uh, people that is actually uh, listening to us right now uh, ran uh, TweetStock locally, and it was the same thing. We got to bring all of our uh, media idols to an event that we organized and had basically a front row seat to that knowledge that we had basically other people pay for. That's And and we then... You know, built businesses from that. It's like that's what you do. I'm yep. sorry if you can get a bunch of people that are industry experts to come to your show and divulge information that they would normally not share with you. Do it. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. Do it and sell tickets because that val- right. that yeah. value is is you know is stellar. Yeah, abso- in any industry, absolutely. And like, I've spent a lot of money bringing people oh. in. I don't know if I've actually made that back yet, but it, the, just the value that it brings to the event, it's. Absolutely. Like just um, uh, just a couple years ago, our theme was music, and we had the Scream for Me Sarajevo documentary. Mm-hmm. The, the, yes, and, that is a perfect segue, sir. And we brought Tell me in, about that. Yeah, so we, uh, I had been following Scream for Me Sarajevo, um, uh, I guess since it was announced that they were releasing the film, and so I contacted the producers, and I said, look, you know, if you're going to... S- submit to festivals please you know send it something to hamilton i'm a huge iron maiden fan you will you will have a home in hamilton uh this wasn't like you know you're going to submit and we're going to jury it and decide whether it's going in i'm like if you send it to me it is in done and so i tracked the progress and time went by time went by and then we decided it was in our 12th year we were going to make the theme music for the festival the theme was going to be music i'm like i need this documentary like this is going to be an anchor of the festival and Turns out they were still on the festival circuit, and I reached out to the producer, and he's like, yep, let's do this, let's do it in Hamilton. I'm like, if we do this screening, I'm going to get a metal band to open up for the documentary, and it's going to be the whole night, we're going to celebrate metal and and the power of music, which is really what the documentary is about. And so, yeah, so it happened. And then, like, okay, what else can we do? And then... uh, I was following the members of the the, the band at that from the Skunk Works era, mm-hmm. and Alex uh, Elena, the drummer at the time, he was he's all over social media. So I sent him sent him uh, an email, and uh, the producer actually said, "Oh, you should send Alex. You should contact Alex because he'll 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 come down." So I said, "Alex, you know, November twelfth, you want to come down and uh, or whatever the date was, November second mm-hmm. or something. You want to come do want to come to Canada, and he had never been to Canada before." So he's like, he'd been to Sarajevo, but yeah, not, not not survived Canada. Sarajevo. But so yeah. uh, I said, yeah, I'll get you a flight. I'll get you somewhere to stay. Come on down for a few days and do a, you know, do a Q and A and hang out and watch the movie. So he got on a plane and came to Canada and we hung out for a few days and he told us stories about the band and and it was great to the, uh, the PA system and all the other yeah yeah, I'm sure, yeah. 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 So it was wonderful to uh, have him there at the screening, and we had a, a local band called Prismind. Uh, open up. They did their original metal, but they also threw in three Maiden tracks. So when uh, when I did um, the one night only, which was uh, me revisiting an old style of podcast uh, live in front of an audience, I had the same idea. I wanted to have a live band, and what a lot of people didn't realize it was my fiftieth birthday party. So 
I was going to have music for my party. So I had uh, two of the local artists that I know that do very good metal, uh, and they're just a, a, a guitarist and a drummer. That's it. And I had them do the opening of Aces High. <laughs> uh, or I did, actually, I had them do Aces High. Yeah. But more importantly, uh, to open up the night, I had the then Speaker of the House, Dave Levac, who is the longest was the longest standing Speaker of the House, uh, do a bit. He did 15 minutes talking about a whole bunch of stuff. But I said, at the end of it, you're going to be talking about veterans and a few veterans. I want you to shift into Churchill speech. And he did the intro <laughs> to Aces High. No so I literally had the Speaker of the House do Churchill <laughs> speech, and immediately the boys kicked into Aces High, and that's how I kicked off the night. Oh, that's so okay, great. Okay, <laughs> and I got it on video. And it, it, the best part is, is you know, he's talking about uh, how uh, Churchill brought people together, and especially in light of current <clears throat> political environments, you know, it was quite interesting. But, yeah, the, uh, the ability... Uh, to, to pull that off that night. And it was just one of those stupid ideas I had. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to get a metal band. That's awesome. And I'm going to get Dave, who I didn't even <laughs> invite yet at the time, you know, and it's like, come on in and do this. Oh, and by the way, sneak this in. And it's like, yeah, that was awesome. So we are going to talk about something that uh, we're both passionate about music. Yeah. We're both passionate about film uh, you know, I do video editing as well. And trust me, I know the stories when you're dealing with, you know, here's, here's two terabytes of data on, <laughs> on a disc and there's 90 minutes of audio. And here's all these interviews we did. And you're literally using five seconds of a kid go, go lands down, yeah. you know, <laughs> as part of the entire, you know, a 10 minute interview with the kid. Cause that was the best bet, you know, uh, or you take, you know, so, so I've been through all of that. But the one thing we also share, you, you, you know, exactly what I I'm talking about. You've been I there. Know. You know, I exactly know. what I'm talking about. But the point being is that's all I needed from that. Right. Is that little bit yep. was better than everything else that was recorded for that mm-hmm. bit. It summarized it perfectly. Uh, and that's years before you see that. You, you know, the kids would go, oh, let's just put the entire interview because, you know, time. <laughs> but in any case, uh, Iron Maiden. Yeah. So uh, the reason this is actually happening, and we got to talk about all the other stuff, is uh, a good friend of both of ours, Matthew Wilson, was on the show. And uh, obviously he talked about the film festival and his relationship there. And he may have voluntold me to help MC something if he ever needed, but that's something entirely different. Oh, great. But regardless of the fact, uh, he likes his music. I like my music. You like your music. And... One particular band came out, which was Iron Man. So what we've decided to do was uh, just shoot the shit for the last bit of, of yeah. this thing. Yes. Uh, for those of you that, that that arrived here for the purposes of learning about the film festival and Nathan, uh, I'm glad that you, you you were here and I hope you enjoy this. Uh, and uh, who knows, this might be a part A and a part B because we're <laughs> getting into the part B right now, which is completely uh, uh, left field for what we originally talked about. Uh, it is my favorite uh, band. Um, you know, uh, among a list of other bands, yeah. but it, it's up there. Um, for you, where where does it rank? Oh, it's the, number one. Number one. Yeah. There, there's Iron no good. It's my favorite band. Yeah. It's one of those things. I think most people, when they make that decision, it's not an either or. Yeah. You know, they appreciate everything. Like I'll appreciate Dream Theater, and I'll appreciate Metallica and Megadeth, yeah. and the list goes on. You know, whatever. But there's something about the progressive nature of long, deep cuts. And layered upon layers upon layers upon thought process. And a band that has been touring, living the life, not living the life, you know, (laughs) coming back and whatnot, maturing. You know, these are, what, 65-year-olds still playing live better than any one of us could do. And even their worst music is better than the best music you'll ever put together. So 
I want to do it a bit different, and we've kind of prepped about this. Uh, I want to go back to your first concert, yep. um, which is uh, one of my favorite albums, uh, uh, which is uh, kind of funny because most people don't pick that one, but it's got my favorite song of all times on it, and I'm sure you know which one. In any case, uh, your first impression of an Iron Maiden song, first, and then evolving to the concert. But more importantly, uh, for those of you that are listening to this and have a history, uh, this is the one concert you cannot find live video of because they decided not to do a DVD. And Maiden is known for a lot of their live uh, ca- captures yeah, of their events. Yeah. They're really known for it. But this one, they did not spend the money. And you got to see it, and I'm actually envious because <laughs> it was stellar. So tell me about it. it. So this was 86, so I would have been, I think, 15 at the time. Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto. I wasn't able to go to the Power Slave uh, tour, the previous tour. I was too young, but definitely wanted to be there. And then so Summer in Time came along. I knew it had to be there. And the album was amazing, you know, staring at the Derek Riggs artwork on Summer in Time. And, you know, you talk about Easter eggs. Oh, my God. To this day, you're still finding them. It's just just incredible. Just the whole... And we're talking when it was still album size. Yeah, you know, uh, this is this is a yep. work of art across absolutely. both covers or you know both sides of the album. Absolutely. So just that experience alone, just looking at the mm. artwork and the music was amazing. But the live show, this was my first experience seeing Iron Maiden, and it like it took up the whole arena. Mm. So when they performed their show, there wasn't just the stage show which Maiden is known for. There was like inflatables throughout the arena, which you know I guess that would be comparable to like a Pink Floyd yep. experience or something. But you know, the spaceships above you and lighting up, and then Bruce comes out in his outfit, oh, God, and there's all like was, yeah. lights all around him, and then the giant Eddie comes out, you know, with the gun and the the Clint Eastwood uh, Eddie look. And then, you know, the stage <laughs> rises up, the drums go up in the air, and there's this giant Eddie, you know, with two hands as platforms and the drum on top of his head. Like, for a 15-year-old kid just starting to learn to play guitar, like, that was mind-blowing. And I, you know, the Summer in Time shirt, it doesn't exist anymore because I wore it down to the threads. It was my favorite T-shirt. It was my favorite concert. And it just blew me away. It was it was amazing. It was no, amazing. It's, it's funny because most people in Canada uh, would have experienced Maiden on the Power Slave because, you yep. know, in terms of, because that's when they did a significant amount of touring in Canada. Uh, they spent a lot of time in Canada. They toured out of Canada yep. with that album. And it's also the one that has the live after death. So that's where most people would have been yes. getting media exposure uh, to a live show. Yep. And I think in many cases, for those that were late to the game, and I was very late to the game, so I'll be the first to admit it. I more than made up for it, trust me. <laughs> but for those that, that just heard around Power Slave, that tour was likely the first tour that they would have had the chance because they would have been late to the party right. in many cases. And I think you may have either fell into that because of your age, as yeah, you say, you yeah. weren't allowed, but also just the logistics of sometimes you f- hear about it a bit too late. Right. You know, and they're already gone. And then you you have live after death come out and you go, how did I miss that? Yes. Yeah, so I yeah, the, the Power Slave was the the songs from Power Slave is what what I remember of my earliest maiden experiences. But it was the live after death album oh. for sure. Like I know all the back chatter, for, you know, the, all the all the dialogue that Bruce talks to the audience. Mm. I still hear that when I listen to the studio oh, versions yeah. of the of the songs, like because it was so it was such a great album. Yeah, how can you not hear "Scream for Me" before Iron Maiden, even when you listen to it on an album? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, all the chatter that that was in there became part of the songs. So yeah, you're yeah. right. You're absolutely right. 
that. Well, to your point, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, you know, what, what do you do when a bird shits on yeah. you? You know, like to this day, <laughs> to this day, he makes reference to that, right? Absolutely. And that was a, a flub in many ways, right? But uh, to your point, it's the live experience. And, and for me, as much as I love the studio albums, it's their live cuts that have always made it for me. Because any musician that is able to do that... Uh, repeatedly, yes, accurately mm-hmm. to that level of scale. Like I can do riffs, I can do intros of songs. You give me, you know, rhyme of the ancient mariner and tell me to do that flawlessly. <laughs> no. And, and then you want me to do how many other songs that are as yeah. complex? <laughs> no. You know, I'm not a god. And so it, yeah, yeah. And if you try playing rhyme of the ancient mariner on bass, like I'm a guitar yeah. player by trade, but. You know, your your wrist is mm. killing in minute three, and you're like, oh, my God, I still got ten to go. I made the mistake <laughs> of buying, uh, when Rock Band was a thing, I bought the Iron Maiden things. And even on the little shitty Rock Band, which is not a guitar, but it's yeah. still <laughs> testing your, your, your ability to follow along. I'm like, what the heck? You know, this is not, you know, through the flames and fire of, you know, Dragon Force. <laughs> this is Iron Maiden. And the complexity is like, holy crap. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of funny because the same thing happened when... Uh, when Metallica released their, um, it wasn't their Death Metallic. It was what was the one before Death Metallic, or maybe it was Death Metallic. Uh, Death Magnetic. Death Magnetic. Yeah. That was it. Sorry, Death Magnetic. Uh, they released it on uh, Guitar Hero, and it was the first time I actually heard the album was actually playing it. Oh wow! And it was a weird experience because I was actually in many ways screwing it up. You know what I mean? But, but yeah, it was the first time that I actually. Interesting. Or, it was weird. It, I actually blogged about it because it was something I never experienced. But when it comes back to Maiden. All the live albums, let's be honest, if you get two good singles off of any album, if you get a third song that's stellar, I'll buy the album. That was the old rule back in, you know, yeah. but, you know, if it's got three good songs, it's worth the album. But let's yeah. be honest, most albums have seven odd stinkers. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing about live is it's the stuff right. <laughs> that's not the deep cuts. Now, yeah. you miss the deep cuts. Like when I, when I hear them play something like Still Life live, yeah. oh my God. You know, like you'll never hear that ever again in your life. You know what I mean? Um, So there's something to be said about that. But the live is just, it's it's there. Yeah. So I'll bring us one concert forward. And I want to kind of go deep dive on this one because we're actually going to talk specific songs and we're going to use one tour for it. So this one is the one that was my first. Uh, You would have gone to it as well. More importantly, we were within a, a week uh, I believe, right. of seeing the tour, yep. because I saw it in Ottawa and you saw it at Maple Leaf, I believe. At uh, the exhibition stage. At the exhibition, that's right. Yep. And uh, if you look online, uh, uh, the the online world says that Anthrax opened up for me, but no, it was Guns N' Roses. It was Guns N' Roses. It was Guns yeah. N' Roses. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I remember uh, Slash complaining that because he couldn't speak French in Quebec, <laughs> he got no pussy. <laughs> and he's saying this in live, uh, live on stage in Ottawa, surrounded by you know half the French population, right? So yeah, uh, no, it was not Anthrax. It, it was Guns N' Roses yeah. and Iron Maiden uh, for the seventh tour of a seventh tour, supporting Seven Sons of Seven Sons. So what I want to do is get your impression, because uh, this goes back to the point of live pulls together a lot of albums. Yep. Uh, we're just going to go down the list and uh, give me your two thoughts on what that song is relative to Maiden as a whole. Does that kind of oh, yeah, make sure, sense? Sure, sure. Okay, so uh, a lot of these obviously come off of the Seventh Son uh, album, which mm-hmm. uh, for those that may know or may not fully know, uh, it was their first opera type album. Yep. It's, a, it's a very complicated, and I made the mistake of actually playing it backwards. I put the hmm. side on first when I received uh-huh. it. I, I completely messed up. So the song that I first heard was Seventh Son, yep. not the one that 
kicks off this particular right. uh, concert, which is Moonchild. Moonchild. So, yeah. your thoughts on Moonchild? Uh, the, so that was a, at the time um, where they were using synth, right? So, uh, they, they really started kicking in synth on yeah. that one, yeah. So, so, and they actually introduced the uh, Steve's uh, the bassist uh, tech would do the live sample yes. playing live. Yes. So they actually had an extra member in the band. Yep. At that stage. Yep. Yeah. Um, so. And that it it almost feels like a concept album. It is a like concept album when you yep. when you f- go from beginning to end and the way uh, Bruce sings the, the beginning and the end of the book ends, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, when it's done, you're like, oh my god, I just I just went through a journey yeah. there. Like it was like a mystical journey when you're listening to that. But yeah, Moonchild, I loved. I love that introduction. I was always uh, very much into the synth sound, so uh, I listened to a lot of Ozzy at the time. Mm-hmm. So you know, Mr. Crowley and that. Yep. Like our band had a keyboard player and we had pipe organ sound. So for me, it wasn't an issue. There was a lot of metal guys that were like, nah, you know, they got that synth sound. It's not Iron Maiden anymore. And but I loved it. I thought Moonchild was fantastic, and just that whole build up. The great oh. thing about when you put on any Maiden album, whatever the first song is you know okay that's what they're going to open the show with and you can almost imagine it happening so it's uh, how you remember an iron main show opening yeah as you say when you say churchill speech with aces high <laughs> people know exactly what what that means yeah uh, and to your point about moonchild in the context of the album oh, yeah yeah huh. uh it, it, it summed up the entire album quite nicely. Yes. Uh, yeah. I really thought, and uh, and considering this one obviously was themed, it played into uh, the stage play as well, yep. which you know was always nice. So that went into another song uh, that's on here, which uh, in many ways I think is actually one of the strongest songs on the album, "The Evil That Men Can Do." Oh, just brilliant, brilliant, oh, brilliant! Song. The we- weaving yep. of that song, eh? It's just, yeah, it just flows. Yeah, and uh, and it. it, it uh, and Nico's bass drum, oh. <laughs> like when you get it, you want to talk, get deep into the song, yep. like just every time you listen to the song, you know, I, I love the guitar work and I love the melody lines. And then you're like, what the hell is he doing on his bass drum? And he's like one, one foot, right? He's not a double no. bass drummer, right? And you hear the on the, on the bass drum. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. But well, no. you hear him on uh, the beginning of uh, Where Eagles Dare. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. I'm sorry. Wow. Yeah, I get, my foot gets sore. Oh, just thinking about it. After a minute and and a lot of people don't necessarily <laughs> give the drummer the credit, but let's be honest, these are all highly qualified, highly oh, yeah. competent players. And Absolutely. Nico McBrain is stellar yeah. uh, as a drummer and uh, uses every single bit mm-hmm. of drum kit that's given to him. Uh, that led into one of my personal favorites uh, from from an album, The Prisoner. Thoughts? The Prisoner? Yeah, the the song. Oh, I love The Prisoner. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, did you ever watch the TV series? Yes. Okay, so so there was a certain aspect of being brought back into it. Did, I'm assuming you saw the series before? Uh, no, after. You, okay, after. so it introduced you to the yes, series. Absolutely. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. So the opening bit, you know, uh, yep. from, from the TV series is stellar. I, yeah. And doing that live, I thought, just a da da like yeah. this, going back to the drums. Just, there's something yeah. about the beat on that one at the beginning. And love, uh, yeah. But that, that did uh, cause me to look out for the series to uh, oh, it's, seek out. It's, I, I love the series, don't get me wrong, but, but you know, you have to be completely on acid to understand the last <laughs> two episodes of that series. You know, it's just, I don't know what happened near the end there, but it's, you know, yeah, I've watched it all, and uh, it's a stellar, a stellar yeah. concept, I really do believe so. And I think it really tells a lot about Steve Harris's pull from uh, books and, yeah. and concepts yep. and, and how... Unlike uh, uh, Vincent Price saying, I don't get out of bed for $10,000 and I won't do your intro for a number of the beasts. They said, fine. Yeah. You know, take it. Go yeah. for it. Have fun. You know. Uh, the... That's a great interview on the one of the DVDs. I think it's the Rod Smallwood mm. talking when they're talking about being on the phone with 
the uh, Patrick uh, Mc- McGowan, yeah, McGowan, yeah, yeah, asking about you know using it, and he's like, "Do it." Yes. <laughs> oh, it's, <laughs> but here's the thing: most of the things, and you see it a lot on Twitter now because a lot of those conversations you can see it publicly. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of artists, you know, when you get them and they like it, yeah, go for it. Yeah. Sure, I, I'm going to enjoy this as much as possible. Yeah. And then you get like uh, "To Tame a Land," which was Dune, uh, couldn't be called Dune because <laughs> author. Uh, okay, on to the next song, uh, "Infinite Dreams." Oh yeah, beautiful song, melodic. Yeah, 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 and and uh, a lot slower. It's but... a, well, it played into the theme of the album too, yeah. right? Because it was the lull yeah. of that opera, if you yeah. will, right? Absolutely. And you know, you 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 really get to see Bruce shine a lot. You know, in the heavier stuff, he still he shines in everything that mm. he does. But when you hear some of the slower things that he does, you really hear the power in his voice and and you know how he kind of weaves his vocal lines. And, and there was not a lot of slower type songs prior to this album similar to that in many ways like i think that's when they started giving him permission almost to play with that type of style yeah yeah because i'm thinking back what would be an infinite dream prior to that and i'm drawing a blank i'm sure there's plenty that i'm forgetting but it was that first you know it was that first one when i think about it you know and there's been few since then but i think it was one of those yeah it's i'm playing with this this voice here and you really do hear it. Yeah. I think I think it is a stellar. Um, I don't think of it as a maiden song per se, you know, but it is definitely a, a Bruce. Uh, y- yes, yeah. you know, you could in that yeah, sense. You could, yeah, you could stamp that as a as a Bruce. Yeah, and telling considering sure. you know what was happening a few years later and you know the solo album and so forth. So yeah, uh, yeah. really quickly down the troop. The Trooper. We're, oh, first of all, we are drinking Trooper beer. So yes. first of all, if yes. we're going to say Trooper, we might as well cheers. go cheers. Yep. Okay, so up the, uh, <laughs> up the irons, exactly. And this is a good beer. I do drink a lot of it. So it, it, if Robinson Brewery is listening to this, <laughs> uh, I, I do like your beer. Uh, and I do as well. Uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, so the Trooper, classic, peace of mind. Oh, absolutely. That was the first song I learned on, uh, the first Maiden song I learned on guitar. And that is not... An easy song. No, I never picked easy songs when I first started mm-hmm. playing. I was like, I got to learn the hard stuff right away. Yeah. So all the early songs were like, you know, uh, Mr. Crowley, um, Trooper, just any any of those kind of fast metal songs. The, yeah. Those are what I gravitated to first. But... When when you hear the gallop, yep, uh, which is pronounced in a lot of songs, mm-hmm. uh, like the, the the gallop is is there across the board on so many songs, but it's so prevalent in that one yep. it is the it's the iron Maiden gallop and it's, yes it's it's <laughs> i say gallop because obviously horses in this case but yep. it's there it's yep. that you know and you you hear it so often ever and you don't hear that that beat yeah in other bands i i you know it's it's so them yeah yeah you know i heard it in uh what was that uh the muse song oh god i can't remember the name of it but it had that kind of uh had a little bit of that gallop in it. Anyway. We'll no, well, they pull from so much. Yeah, like, yeah, that, that's, yeah. that's a very talented band yeah. right there in terms of what they produce, you know, especially live as well, to be able to do that level of complexity yeah. live. Uh, moving on to, uh, I always laugh at this one because it, you never really saw what was coming with this one. Can I play with madness? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, first of all, the video. The video, I was just about to say, you know, you get, you, you, it that for me like it's just locked in with the video like every time it I hear is that the video song, to me that i it, don't see it without the video it, absolutely like it, it was at the time too they 
they went with the concept because mm-hmm. they didn't they weren't really into like videos. It was always live performance music yep. videos that they would release, right? Well, so, they would typically take cuts from yep. their larger production yep. work that they were doing for you know uh, yep. their, their live set. Yeah, and then to see this, you know, they they got to play play around a little bit. It was great because yeah. that was you know what we saw on much music. Over and over again, and and it was a... well, it became very popular uh, because it was kind of poppy. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And it definitely hit the the market far more, and I believe it is one of their highest selling in terms of you know, uh, you yeah, know back in the day, yeah. in, in, in yeah. terms of that traditional yep. single. Um, and live, it actually plays well. Yeah. You know. Um. But yeah, I can't think of it without thinking of the video. It's just so ingrained in that, and it reminds me also when you think of what. Bruce did, let's say, you know, 10 years later with his movie. Yeah. You know, um, it, it seems stylish in, in that similar vein, if you will. Yeah. Uh, we're moving on to the next one. Uh, <laughs> this one's uh, this one's difficult for me, but Heaven Can Wait. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Trying to remember it? No, no, I, uh, I know it's <laughs> you... where it fits in there. Oh, gotcha. Um... I def the chorus definitely runs through my mind a lot. Um, well, it was built for for the crowd. Yeah, you could tell that it was oh, built oh. for. Yes, you know. Yeah, it's a shame they don't do it as much anymore. But yeah, no, I, it, yeah. it definitely was a in concert experience. It's Absolutely. like it's like you know um, what we were saying about it earlier. Fear of the dark. Yeah. Okay. Fear oh, of the fear dark of the live dark. is is oh, an experience. You know, uh, heaven can wait. Religion. Live is the same thing. Yeah. I, I yeah. found for that. Yes. Yeah. You know, and I think in many ways uh, the. Um, um, the fear of the dark replaced it in the set list. If they yeah, had not come know, up with fear of the yeah. dark, I think they would go back to that because that was the one where, and like I said, I know this personally, yeah. they would pull, pull from, from the crowd absolutely. and you'd be on stage with the band and it was spectacular yeah. to pull that off. But you yeah, know, it's funny. That's probably why I don't go to it to listen to because it's such a live oh, song. Oh, it's totally it's like, a live song. It's, you know, it sounds great on when you listen to it, but you got to see oh, that it's, song live. And like I said, uh, probably... I'm grateful enough to be able to say I got to see it from You're, the stage. Yeah, okay, awesome. so so to be able to look out at 20,000 yeah, people, yeah, yeah. and you only see the first <laughs> few rows, let's be honest, which is why you can pull off that shit. Yeah. But yeah, uh, that moment where you're called on stage to, to go around Steve Harris and yeah. do the, you know, the whoa, whoa, whoa. But what I always tell people, that moment, uh, very similar to your kids when you were talking about them earlier, you know, where they got to mm-hmm. do their Q&A and they're in front of a large group. Yeah. Once I was able to go on stage in front of 20-odd thousand people at an Iron Maiden show and go, oh, you know, whatever, <laughs> and run off, and that was it, I could. I never had an issue public speaking after that. <laughs> and, and a lot of people don't know this. Whenever I would, uh, in the early years, we're talking, you know, 20-odd years ago, I would sing Heaven Can Wait in, the ba- in my mind mm. as a calming mechanism awesome. before awesome. I would go up yeah. to present or, or, or whatever. It was my go-to relaxing because if you could do that— yeah. Whatever, but yeah, I don't think you would ever look at it on an album and go, "Oh, that's a song that that that, that yeah. I'm remembering." But live, it's, yeah. it was an experience, and and not just for the people that were lucky enough to be on the stage, but the crowd. It's it's like running free. It had that Absolutely. live, yes. yes, you know, presence, yep. uh, which brings us. Yep. My favorite song, hands down, "Wasted Years." Oh yeah, fantastic! And yeah. what a what a great song! Like it, it's overlooked as 
as a song when when you hear about uh, songs about being on the road. Yes, like it's overlooked. Oh yeah, no, it's it's not wanted dead or alive. Bon Jovi, yeah, no. wah, 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 But oh my god, that is such a story to his wife. It really is. Like, yeah. and and it's a shame that that does get overlooked. You know, you get the um, turn the page all the time. Yep. You get the dead or alive. You, you get those those road songs, but like. Wasted years. This is amazing. And then it's interesting now with uh, YouTube, when you type in Wasted Years covers, you see all these people doing it and doing it in their own style. And the lyrics really Uh, hold up. It translates really well across genres. Yeah. Like it's a fantastic song, really well written and obviously heartfelt. Well, and what I love about it as well is is it played into the the video for it, played into the album cover. It was all about the history of Maiden. If anybody ever listens to that video, I mean, the original video not the one they have uh, based on the live concert of that song you get a crash course in the history of maiden absolutely in that video and it's just yep. a perfect package yep uh and like i said uh, back back then i bought all the singles so i've got you know all the yeah. all, 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 all the uh, all the album covers from from that era which is spectacular yep. but that one like i said the b-side has reach out which is an adrian smith yep. uh, vocal and uh whenever you get to hear a uh, wasted years live and you get to get Adrian on the mic for bits of that song, yeah. and especially when Bruce will pull the mic away from him to yeah. piss him off and that type of stuff. Because a lot of people don't really appreciate, I think, the vocal tone uh, that Adrian brings live. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's yep. there. He, he, not just the guitar sound, but even when he just steps up to the mic, it's, yep. you know, it's, well, I, I'm biased. And just And even the, the, the bridge in that song oh. before the lead solo, like, oh. it's beautiful. It really is like everything's doing something different, but it all works so well. Like Steve Harris's bass, is, oh my god, it's the, all over the place. It's yeah. like a solo on its own oh. while the guitar solo is going on, but it's not jumbled. It's not like a, no. it's not two guys just do go off on their own. It, it's just it's brilliant. Well, and, brilliant. And I think it's also, and once again, I show my bias towards Yannick Gears on this one. As much as I respect him as a guitarist, it wasn't the muddled aspect uh, right. of the 90s Maiden. Uh, you know, you had Dave Harris, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, Jesus. Dave Murray, Murray yeah. sorry, uh, Dave Murray doing his stellar job yep. with his riffs. Like he is just, you know, I, I think of when I think of Judas Priest, I think yeah. uh, 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 of that, uh, he would have been in Judas Priest, yep. you know, yep. he's that, that part of the guitarist. But then all of a sudden you flip into the flow that is Adrian Smith and on the last album, there's one song, I forget what it was, but it's almost as if he took his Wasted Years riff and, and oh, repurposed yeah. yes. it on it. And yes. it's the, it is yeah. the same riff, yes. isn't it? Yes, And I listen to it and I can't, I can't listen to that song because to me that riff only belongs right. <laughs> on that song. Yeah. But the, the solo on it, the pacing of it, and I think it got a lot of airplay as well. And I think, I think that's a song that most people outside of the Power Slave songs right. might yeah. go, oh, I know that song or yeah. I've heard that song. But to me... Uh, Studio-wise, oh, it's solid. It, it's just absolutely solid. Yep. Uh, and like I said, I, it's unfortunate because as much as I love that song, which is a, a hallmark of the first concert you went to, mm-hmm. I was leaving the stage and making my way back to my seat <laughs> while that song was playing, and that's one of my biggest regrets from that concert <laughs> because that opening bit where he's just going up the E string. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, it's such a, a beautiful, beautiful bit. Beautiful bit. So uh, this brings us up mm-hmm. to The Clairvoyant. Oh yeah, great song, great song. You know, and once again, that playing off of uh, the the overall opera of it, yep. a lot of a lot of uh, uh, they were, as you say, playing with the synths. Even the guitars, uh, yep. they were introducing synths uh, back then. I don't think we hear much of that as much now. 
No. You know, I think it, they're, they're now the, the wall of power, for yep. lack of a better term. Uh, very quickly, Seven Son of the Seventh Son. Very long song, but not... I love uh, that song. Yeah, I know. Yep. It's... I, I, it, it runs in my head often, and sometimes I'll, I'll catch myself in the middle of the song, and I'm like, what the heck main song is that? And I'm like, oh, it's Seventh Son, yep. Seventh Son. Because, you, you know, there's songs yep. that have so many different parts yep. in them, and, and uh, no, I just, just love that song. It's yeah. it, it was... You know, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner is Rhyme yeah. of the Ancient yeah. Mariner. You know, let, let's be honest. But I think it was better in many ways. It was definitely more complex, uh, I found, um, more stylistic. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, I made the mistake of when I played that album the first time I started on the B-side, and that was my first introduction to that album was Seven Son of Seven Son. Yeah. It's like you're kicking off with a 15-minute song. Awesome. <laughs> you know, whatever. And even the breakdown in Seventh Son, <sighs> where it's much like the breakdown in Rhyme yeah. of the Ancient Mariner, where it's that misty kind of <sighs> sound, and then it just slowly builds up. It's just, just amazing. Yeah. Amazing. When, when you look, compare it to some of the other long cuts that they've done, yeah. some of them, the other ones feel strained. You know, yeah. we're yeah. trying to make it the, the next 15 minute that we did. Uh, that one did not feel strained, and nope. it solidified that album. Yep. It really did. Uh, this brings us to a classic, Number of the Beast. Love it. <laughs> you know, that's really what got every one of us, uh, you know, as teenagers in the circle we were in, in you know, interested in what the heck is what the heck? saying? Oh you know, what is this What is this number from? Yeah. We were all reaching for our parents' Bibles or yeah. grandparents' Bibles flipping to flipping to all the good parts, right? To, you know, what are they talking about? What is this about? revelation this, stuff? Yeah, yeah, and this devil seems amazing. <laughs> was all, this, all this religious imagery, yeah. and it was just, you know, ama- just the whole, op- the introduction, right? There was, a, there was a documentary, I forget what which one it was, but they were talking about how the producer uh, for that album had Bruce do the opening bit of that I'm, a lot of yeah. times, for lack of a better term. Because he was not believing yeah. the lyrics, and he, I guess, took a walk or something like that, yeah. and then came back and did it, and you listen to it with them. If you picture Bruce Dickinson going for an eerie walk, yeah. doing that opening bit, that was it. That was his final cut. Yeah. And, and oh my God. You know, when, uh, and a lot of people obviously think, you know, uh, that, that uh, oh, that's Vincent Price or whatnot, but the, who cared? More, more people remember... The, the person that wasn't Vincent yeah. Price in the world, and people I think remember Vincent Price, yeah. period. Uh, because that opening bit should have been Vincent Price. He screwed up by not doing that because yeah. I think more people would know his name now, which is a shame, but that's just me. Uh, we're bringing up to this to me, uh, and I'm giving this away, uh, best live song, period. Hmm. Okay, especially more now that you've got three guitars, Hello Be Thy Name. Oh, huh. incredible. Yeah. Incredible. There's a... Yeah, so yeah, classic Maiden, you know, Maiden through and through. You could sum up a lot of what they are by playing that song, right? Just just all the elements that are in it. There's a there's a YouTube video of these guys that uh, don't listen to metal, and they you know they put on songs for the first time. And the, they, the reaction and the yeah. reaction and it's hallowed be the name. And to watch these guys listen to it, and they're like, whoa, whoa, hold on a second, press pause there. And they're talking about the lyrics and the music and the buildup. And I'm like, that's what I felt when I first heard hallowed be thy name. Like it's just so eerie and spooky, and you know the chimes going uh-huh. off, and it's just. And just build, and then all of a sudden it kicks into the the, yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. Well, and like I said, when when you see it live, when they take the center stage at the end of the song, it just becomes that entire band moment. Yep, you know, and and uh, to me, that song is uh, how I like to see the the concert end. Like Mm -hmm. traditionally, when I think of a set, like that's the end for me. Uh, uh, Not the case in many cases, but 
Yeah, uh, and uh, it's the one song, and this is where I give Yannick, uh, you know, uh, some 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 of my breaks. Uh, I want a third guitarist on that one live. Yep. I want that wall of guitar on that song uh, because it's the layers are there, and the crowd gets into it. And you know, back to your point about the reaction, people. I saw one just recently, and this is a separate band, but he listened to Master of Puppets for the first time. Mm. The song, not yep. not the album, but yep. the actual song. And just before uh, Kirk gets into the solo, his jaw literally drops, his <laughs> eyes pop out of his head. And for the next two minutes of, of that solo and, you know, and all the stuff that went with that, the facial reaction it, it was priceless. It was just priceless, you know. But, yeah, that there are certain songs where um, I, I know of an experience that someone, uh, upon hearing that song, a female individual, uh, came. Hmm. <laughs> just just from listening to that song on Rock and Rio, uh, it was just that good of a you know experience. You know, it's a great song. It's just spectacular. Yeah, you know, brilliant. Uh, okay, uh, moving quickly along, uh, the classic that gets played every friggin' concert. And how can you be a band after all these years and still play one song every night? Iron Maiden. Uh, well, that's that's it's you can't remove it. You can't right? remove it's, it. It's like. Showing up without a, a couple band members, yeah. really, like it's uh, you know it's their signature. That's their, that's that's what that's what started it all, yeah. right? That's the beginning. That's well. The... Also, live, <laughs> the nice thing is, you know, there's a reveal coming. Yeah, as you say, with the uh, uh, with the uh, um, uh, I forget the album. I will send the Somewhere in Time tour. Oh, uh, you know, where all of a sudden the drum head, uh, uh, the drum kit rises and Eddie shows up, yep. and now you know it's mostly a guy walking on stage or or something behind yep. the, the kit or whatnot. But yeah, it's not about the song at that point. Right. <laughs> you know, when all of a sudden the, 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 the kicks in and yeah. you know something's about to be materials and the entire crowd's going to go. But I've always been impressed by certain bands, you know, Kiss as an example yep. or whatnot, that are capable of playing the same song 40 years yep. into their career. And this is a song, I figured they must have played Iron Maiden. What's 20 times, let's say 200, you know, yeah. like it's not a far stretch to think that you're into the 4,000s yeah, yeah. of playing that song. That's, you got, you got to love a song to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when you think about it, like it's a pretty good thing to have to do 4,000 times when you consider how many times we get up, go to work yeah. and then come home. Right. It, it, if someone said you have to play Iron Maiden for the rest of your life. It's not a bad game. There, there, are, there are worse things in life. <laughs> like I said, I always joke yeah. that the, the, them at their worst is you, you at your best yeah. in some and cases. And like you, it, and I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not Iron Maiden, but I'm gonna go on a stretch say that the audience has got to give a lot back to them from that when they play that. And you look out and you see all these faces and how much joy you're bringing yep. to these people. Like it's got to be something. There, there's, there's one clip. I forget which live set was, and it's uh, uh, Dave Murray. Uh, in our uh, uh, while he's playing Iron, Ma uh, Iron Maiden, at one point in time, the crowd does what the crowd does, and he just reaches out his arms, and you can tell he's just absorbing <laughs> that energy. And as you say, I think at that point in time, if if that's what they get yeah. from playing that song every night, that's a that's a pretty good reward, yeah. yeah. Lack of a better term. Uh, that typically brings us into an encore scenario or whatnot. And in this particular case, we ended with three songs uh, that I could see off the set list: "A Run to the Hills." Yep, classic. classic. Uh, uh, First heard it uh, from the video because mm. it was much music that where where I would have uh, first heard the song because they played that quite a bit you know the the footage of the western yep um, and I remember you know in public school and and everybody singing it everyone was doing like the 
the the vibrato and Bruce's yep. voice. <laughs> yeah. Everyone oh my would, god. Everyone yeah. would imitate that. So, uh, yeah, and you know when my kids were born, I would play that for them when they were really young, and they all sang the words and they got into it. So it's just got a great rhythm. Uh, the beat is just it's got a you know good tempo. The riffs are awesome. The chorus is amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> and, and it, the storytelling uh, yeah. is typical yeah. uh, of a lot of the, you learn more from list, uh, reading the lyrics uh, in many Iron Maiden uh, yep. things than you do reading some books. Uh, brings us to a history uh, lesson uh, is what you get. Oh, from totally. And that's going back to Wasted Years. That's yep. why I think Wasted Years is such an amazing song because for the most part, they're giving you history, mm. but in this, they're opening up about themselves. Yeah. Like you really, it's, it's them. On and the back page, then I they think. did not open at all. No, like no. It even, you know, it wasn't until like flight 666 that they actually did documentary type, yeah. type stuff. Yeah. yeah. No, they, you had no insight into this band. So Wasted Years is a really good door into them. And yeah. that's why I think that song is really translated well over it's, different genres. It's, uh, it's going to sh- pain me when I don't hear that one live. And I don't think mm. it's on the set list on this tour, which is a shame. Uh, two minutes to midnight. Oh, it's yeah. great, great. Oh, my God, yeah. The, the, yes, yes. <laughs> the the only thing, and once again, I, I, I feel bad for Yank right now. That he tends to do the opening bit live now, which to me, that's Adrian. Hmm. That's an Adrian song. That's an Adrian beat. That's an Adrian yep. crunch. Yeah. Um, now, granted, Yannick does a great job with it. Don't get me yep. wrong. He's just got a solid fingers. Like, yeah. the, this guy can hit the notes perfectly because, you know, strength and, yep. and all that. But to me, when when I hear... Adrian play those tones. There's a certain something there that it's not just playing the notes. He's playing the song. Right. And because he wrote the yep, song. Yep. So, so it's like when he does Wasted Years, he's in that moment. You yeah. know he's yep. back in that moment, you know. And to be able to do that thinking about what you were writing, you know, yeah, goes yeah. a long way. And I think For that sure. the Two Minute Mid- to Midnight to me is another classic Adrian Smith song, but that's, you know, I, I'm, I'm showing my bias yet again. <laughs> uh, and once again, this typically ends with something you don't hear play as often, but back in the day it was huge, uh, huge uh, running free. Oh, yeah, running free. That, you know, listen to it to death on the uh, Live After Death album, mm-hmm. just that whole, the extended yeah. running free, right, where the audience participates for an hour, right? It's just amazing. Yeah. Well, and I think that, that to me, that when you look at a lot of their songs, and the reason I picked this is there are certain songs on that list that you can tell were written or at least developed for the purposes of live. Yeah. Okay, yeah. they were scripted, and you still see that in days like this, like Blood Brothers. You yeah, know, yes. when they sat down and did Blood Brothers, blood, 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 I can't even say blood it all. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> they pictured yep. the crowd, you know, uh, when you uh, hear some, you know, some of the songs. So to be in a band where you know you're going to have 50,000 people, 20,000 people, know the song, react to it, do their beats, you know, yep. da 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 you start scripting that into your songwriting, I think. Yeah, I don't. I don't see how you could not when you're mm. doing so many live shows. Like, yeah, you must be writing riffs and be like, oh yeah, the audience is going to be all over that one, right? For sure. So, and now, I yeah. mean, now because there's so many people in Tired Maiden, young and old, like it's almost a given that people are just going to be singing through almost every song. Like every song they have has a cool little melody on the guitar that just people just vocalize. You don't expect, but yeah. The nice thing about having that many instruments and that many styles of play on stage and different pieces of it, you can listen to the same concert and pick up something every, as you say, if you just listen to Nico McBrain, (laughs) you know, or what I love to do. And once again, showing my bias, uh, the, the audio, uh, the Adrian Smith, uh, the tracks where it's just his bit. And uh, the, the soulful nature of that tone, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there was a, what was it, um, 
Foo Fighters. I think they had Wasted, Wasting Light, I think was the last album. And they had one song where they brought back uh, Chris from Nirvana to do a little bass piece on it. And you're listening to the song, and all of a sudden this bass kicks in. And it's like, where was that all this time? <laughs> okay, and immediately you're reminded, oh, that was Nirvana. You know, the, this bass sound is so unique, to da, 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 and to hear it in a Foo Fighter, and it's like, boom, there it was, right? And to me, whenever I hear an Adrian Smith influence on a song, when it's not there, yeah, it's so noticeable. Whereas, no offense, once again, uh-huh. I can remove Yannick from the equation. I can't pick one thing of Yannick that I would go, this is a defining solo. Right. Whereas Dave and the rest of them, now they're all stellar. And, and I think the biggest thing I'll give Yannick credit for and once again, uh, not to be harsh on the man, the live stage work went up 20-fold, 30-fold, <laughs> uh, where, where it wasn't just two guys standing in front of their amps. Yeah, you know, there was activity. full of energy. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is I think live, it's there. Yeah. You need them. You need that extra. That's why you see so many bands now when they tour live, they'll have the backing band, you know, just to give that extra live punch. Yep. They have the benefit of having that both in studio and in live. And I could not imagine, you know, the band going back to just two guitars. But there's just something iconic about a, a Murray to Smith, Smith to Murray flow that when you compare it to a Murray to Gears uh, flow in their songs, it just wasn't the same. It's two competing guitarists right? in many ways. And maybe that's just my view on it. Uh, but some of the stellar playing, like, my God, the, the the fingers on that man! It reminds me of Steve Vai, and maybe maybe that's what it is. I respect him as a Steve Vai-ish type right. player, but I cannot picture Steve Vai playing in Maiden. Right. I can picture Roy Z playing in Maiden, if you follow my jest. <laughs> in any case, uh, long story short, there, um, the '90s, I guess, is what I'm saying, was a bit painful for me. Yep. Because a, a lot of band members left and whatnot, but yep. in 2000 they all came back, and a lot of people rediscovered Maiden. Or that was their first introduction to Maiden. Uh, and you've gone to all the shows since then. So oh, I know yeah, we're absolutely. running low on, yeah, on yeah. time, and I'm sure we're going to have more opportunities to talk. But walk me through, for those that may not have experienced the what I consider to be the best of Maiden, you know, uh, as good as the 80s were, as good as Paul Diano with Phantom of the Opera and all that has mm-hmm. the history, and, and you won't deny that. The stuff that came from Bruce going off for 10 years and going to Sarajevo, Adrian going off for 10 years and doing the stuff he did. Um, Steve having to deal with the realities of two horrible albums in my mind, you know, and then come back with Brave New World in, two, in you know, 2000. When you first heard Brave New World. Oh, I, exciting to hear, you know, that he was coming back because, you know, the, uh, the whole period in the, in the 90s that you were talking about, uh, that was when grunge came in as well, yes. right? So metal took a big a huge dive. Hit. Like you were going to uh, sold out shows at Maple Leaf Gardens, Fire Maiden, and then all of a sudden uh, you were at a general admission and there was still room left yeah. in, in the room to see them. Like the things were just seemed on a decline. And uh, it just in, in metal in general, yep. in that area, grunge had. Well, even Metallica stuff. was yep. in their load and reload and a yep. few other stuff in that time frame as well, right? And um, then it was yep. nice. Like, so. Dickinson coming back to the band almost seemed like, you know, metal's coming back. Metal's coming like, back. Not that it ever went away for no. us that listened to it, but just in, in that, you know, the public realm and the and the excitement about it and that, you know, 
they're going to be filling rooms again and that we're going to see the maiden that we saw back in the day like that and just the song the complexity and the quality <laughs> of it all yeah uh, the maturing yeah. uh, that came of it like it it wasn't script like when i think of the paul diano years I'll, i think a lot of them as 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 revolution as they were in hindsight are formulaic in many ways when you listen to some of the stuff in the last 10 years of Maiden, it's all over the place in a good way. Yep. You know what I mean? And for the most part, the, the each song holds their own. Like, there's not a lot of horrible stinkers, whereas you can take something like No Prayer for the Dying and pick 10. <laughs> I'm being harsh. <laughs> well, favorite yeah. favorite song off of No Prayer for the Dying. Oh, Can you pick one? Uh... It's a hard album to pick from. There's a few good ones, don't get me wrong. But it's not one that you pick as your go-to uh, yeah, album. No. You know, Fear of the Dark, we know what the go-to song on yeah, is yeah. on that. Uh, if you were to pick uh, Virtual Eleven, can you pick one song that's not gambler, uh, The Gambler and the Whatever? I cannot. No. no. And then uh, what was the one prior to that, uh, the uh, the one with Lord of the Flies, uh, the first Bailey one? I forget what it's called all of a sudden. Uh, the one where Eddie is not Eddie. as a different yep. artist. Yeah. New singer and a new look. Yeah, there exactly. Your Man on the Edge is the only one that I would pick for which off that one, love. which yeah. is stellar as an, as a Bruce song. Dickinson song. Yeah. You know what I mean? When he does that, when when they did that 1999 tour where he just rewarmed up and you started hearing some of these songs from yeah. those albums done yeah. with Bruce. Yeah, Man on the Edge is great. Clairvoyant or um, Klansman's great. Oh. Yeah, and you see once again, Klansman to this day that plays live yeah. so well. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it, they're there, but it's not like something like. You know, when I listen to, let's say, um, A Matter of Life and Death, which what I loved about that one was when they first did the first leg of the tour, they basically said, just the new shit. Yes. Okay. And I love the fact that they played the entire album. Yes. I, I was so happy to experience that. I got what people were saying, but you know what? This is good. Yes. And as an album, it reminded me in many ways of Seven Sun because, uh, mm. you know, it, yep. it, it just had that a feel of an arc without yep. it being an arc. Yep. And to be able to see that live played beginning to end, to, yep. you know, uh, songs that you'll never, ever hear them play ever again. Absolutely. Like when you see the uh, the Abbey Road, uh, Brighter, Brighter Than a, uh, uh, a Thousand Sun oh, cut that yes. they did, which is off yes, that album. that Abbey Road Oh my God, amazing. the audio coming out of his yes. voice and to do that live and whatnot. So yep. when I think of an album like that, there's very few stinkers. Now, I don't remember all the songs. But I don't think of stinkers in, in the right. last 10 years, you know? Um, so uh, Brave New World, obviously, it came into play uh, yep. from a concert point of view. You attended that one? You went to that oh, one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything well, for Brave New World on, I went to because it was then, like, this is the band. No matter when they come mm. around, that's the, sh like, I'm, I got to go to that show. Yeah. So any, any tour that they did, I made sure that I was there. Yeah, I wish I could have done that. Like, I tend to I tended to skip one just because of either finances or yep. time or whatnot. Um, or, you know, a certain album didn't hit me a certain way. But I'll tell you, the one that I regret not going to was um, uh, the second album, uh, um, Death on the Road. Um, Dance, of, Dance of Death. Dance of Death. Yeah. Uh, uh, the live production. Now, granted, I got to see it on the DVD. You know, yeah. like it's, you get to see. But it was like, when he does Dance of Death live, when they do Passion Death yeah, live, yeah. And, you know, and, and the list goes There's on. There's a song on that album called Face in the Sand. Mm. It just, it. I listen to it all the time, and I'd never hear anyone talk about it. But 
it it's a slow slow build in long you know instrumental section but just a brilliant brilliant song yeah uh, and that's yeah one of my favorite maiden songs actually and yet as album. you say most people would never yep. you know and this is why i love some of those live albums is to hear those songs played live yeah uh there's especially when you get the crowd energy like i said you, you, you as much as i appreciate something like hallowed be thy name on the album there's nothing compared to that live yeah and that, and it, it I think that's too why they're getting such a new audience, yeah. uh, young people going out and seeing them because they're hearing about their parents, mm. you know, uh, or their uncles talking about this band Iron Maiden. They're going and they're seeing a live band like Iron Maiden perform the way they do, hearing the audience react the way they do, and that's an experience. That's yeah. a, it's really a pretty an amazing thing. And, and for the most part, it's not as as crazy as some of the other metal shows that you might get thrown into you know uh, the mosh pits aren't as stupid in some cases yeah, yeah. you know what i mean uh it's it, a fun it, bounce it's a fun it's a fun bounce, a bounce there, there, there's very little anger yeah at, at a maiden show yeah, I, uh, as sure. you say you said it best it's a fun bounce that's yeah. what a, that's what a nice mosh oh, pit feels like totally, where you're just yeah. you know bouncing off the the, the people enjoy yeah. as opposed to the angry yeah, you know yeah. whatever but the live aspect of, of seeing that band, uh, and we're both go, about to go see them, well, I'm hoping to go, uh, supposedly I have tickets, <laughs> until, the, until the day I won't actually know, uh, Legacy of the Beast Tour, which is... Uh, yeah, I can't wait. Do you think it's the last one? Do you uh, think they're going to... Do you think the entire band's going to be able to tour again? I, I'm skipping forward here, obviously. Yeah, I... I don't, I don't know. They don't seem yeah. to slow down. They don't, like, eh? I don't go to these shows and like, oh, you know what? This is it. Like when you see, like I saw Ozzy 10 years ago. Mm, and you and thought I was that like, was it? Oh boy, like this is probably about it. And then he kept touring and I, and I didn't go anymore because it just, I saw him with Sabbath a few years back, but the whole Ozzy thing, it just felt like it, it was slowing down, right? Everything was tuned down like. Yeah. Like, Three, three semitones or four. When, when, I, when I think of Ozzy, and when I think of Ozzy, I think of him as the uh, the live at Budokan where he's got uh, Robert Trujillo on bass and he's got Zach on guitar and he's got what was it the Soundgarden drummer was it the oh, one yeah, with the dread yeah, was yeah. that the one? Yeah. And to me, that was uh, Ozzy at his best. No offense to, to Randy, Randy was stellar. Don't get me wrong. Yep. But in terms of the band that he had put together on that particular tour, and his voice was still yep. good. You know, it wasn't what it is now. No offense. Uh, because it's still better than my voice, so who am I to say anything bad? Uh, but yeah, when I whenever I see Ozzy, I don't think I'd want to ever see him anything after that. Yeah, I, you know, there comes a time, and I think to me, and, and this is kind of why I was asking, is as much as I would gladly go see them again, I think I'm going in with this concert with a mindset of this is a going to be a stellar first experience for Karen, which is you know especially considering that there's going to be a lot more st stage work yeah, in, yeah. in it, which is which is nice uh, because they could actually pull that off. Great first introduction to her. If it's the last one, what a fine way to end it because that is a stellar tour, and you've you've done yourself a service. You have not cheated and nope. looked at the set list, no way, or any of the video or nope. whatnot. I don't want to know anything. I want to be there, experience it, and see it happen in front of me. I've seen the images of Bruce, you know, jumping in yep. the plane above him, yep. but that's it. I don't want to know anything no, else. No, it's, well, the, the image of Bruce jumping, what <laughs> concert? Yeah. <laughs> what, what has he not jumped, But with right? that, that oh, the, uh, the, the, the spitfire, the yeah. The spitfire above him, I'm like, wow. Yeah, it's, it, it reminds me almost as when the, the big tank came out during Iron Man, during the matter of life and Oh, yeah, you just had yeah, that feeling of, yeah. oh, my God, they took over the stage. Yeah, yeah. And going back to that, uh, the Somewhere in Time tour that you were talking about, the really being yeah. able to take that. And I think that the, the story play uh, through the songs as well. And yeah. there's certain, uh, th there's a few songs that are on that set 
um, uh, you know, that, well, uh, not giving anything away, but Where Eagles Dare. I love that song. Yeah. I absolutely love that song. And to get to see that live, because I honestly, I don't think it's ever been played live for me. I don't think it's ever been any mm. in any of the sets I've seen, uh, because it's a fairly complicated drum drum yep. bit, you know, for the most part. And uh, I'm looking forward to that one. That that yeah. one when that that beat kicks in, it's stellar. So what we're gonna do is uh, after that show. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're going to be getting into the uh, the November time frame because it's August for yeah. the show. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get back together. We're going to do a review of uh, our uh, shared experience of, of that show, assuming yes. you're interested. Yes. And at that point in time, we were uh, we were going to double down on the film festival and, and give that its proper justice. Sure, I'm happy to happy to. Okay, so reintroduce yourself. I am Nathan Fleet, and I am the. Uh director of the Hamilton Film Festival and Blue Pick Media. Now, you are also, once again, for those that are not, uh, I'm going to say this differently, uh, for those that are not necessarily familiar with the film festival, you have a couple of side projects that we talked about earlier. I want to revisit those really quickly. One of them is for the kids. Yep, I do uh, uh, movie-making camps for kids. And uh, for the adults, is there anything equivalent for that, or is this uh, purely a kids' uh, program? That's all coming. It's all That's the all coming. See, there you go. So not only do we have the 14th anniversary of the film festival to look forward to, uh, we have the 15th anniversary, which I'm sure you're already starting to plan. Absolutely. You it's know, in the works. Uh, we have a growing uh, kids' uh, development project for learning how to do film and everything related. And from what I'm hearing, potentially something for some adults. Yeah, uh, teens and outs all the way up. So, uh, ages eight and up. <laughs> wow! And like I said, there there's so many layers of of filmmaking, and mm-hmm. you know, even music comes yep. into it as well. It, it is an all encompassing thing. So, thank you for your time. Thank you. 